If you turn to Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 14, as we begin here, we got two more chapters, and we'll finally finish up the book of Romans before we move on. But the Apostle Paul begins to really kind of wind this very long letter, filled with doctrinal truth, down, and he's, he's laid out every single major doctrine of the faith in the book of Romans. But one of the things that he has not yet done, he's now going to do, that is so important for us as the body of Christ, is to teach us how to actually get along with the rest of the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That seems to be where the rub comes in. And so he's now going to shift on how to take these things, which are truth, because the Apostle Paul has really talked an awful lot about what is sin and what is not sin, what is sound doctrine, what is false doctrine. And he's now going to address those things which we would call liberties or licentiousness. And liberties is something that we can do, that we should do. Licentiousness is something that we should not do, but it's kind of on the edge. And so he's going to talk to strong believers and weak believers. But the issue is, they're both believers. Anybody know some baby Christians in your life? I do. I know people who just recently got saved. They're doing really well to know that Jesus loves them, that Christ died for them. How many of you know some seasoned saints in your life, been Christians for a long time? I do. I know some people that have been believers for, well, I know one couple, because they happen to be my in-laws, that have been Christians and been married for nearly 70 years. So I know some Christians that have been Christians for a long time, and they've even lived together. They've managed to survive that for nearly 70 years. And there's everything in between. The body of Christ is filled with all kinds of different growth in people's lives. Some people are very new believers, and some people are seasoned saints. And so the Apostle Paul now is going to teach us how to learn to get along. And it's a great Christmas message because you're going to have people over to your house that are somewhere on that long line of sanctification as they're growing in Christ. And this is how to get along with those that maybe aren't where you are, or maybe you're not where they are, but we're all one day going to be in exactly the same place called heaven. Amen? Father, thank you for this time tonight, and we pray that your word would speak to us richly and deeply and help us to know what is your perfect will for us as we read it. Lord, help us to understand what your spirit has said to the church through the Apostle Paul in these verses. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Romans 14 Receive the one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And there's your secret operative two-word phrase, doubtful things. And while you think about that for a moment, let me help you understand what it does not say. 
It is not saying that there aren't things that we should not do. We call those things sin. It also does not say that there aren't things that you can do, but you probably shouldn't do because it's unwise. It does not say that these disputes were about things which are really meaningful. It's talking about things that ultimately are doubtful things because they are not essentials to the faith. They are clearly not prohibited in Scripture. They are not morally wrong. They are not something that you can clearly say God would never instruct someone to do that thing. They are doubtful things where there is at least a little bit of doubt in the mind of many believers as to whether they should do them or should not do them. And to make that clear, he's going to use the example that would have been very clear during that day and time, which is food or meat that was offered up to idols and or those things which would have been prohibited by Jewish dietary restrictions as someone who may have come to faith in Jesus Christ but was previously a Jewish person. So for a Jewish person, they were banned from eating anything that tasted good. No ham, no bacon, no lobster. So there, there were a number of restrictions on a Jewish person under the law of Moses that they were no longer under in Christ, but they felt compelled because they were Jewish to keep it. And so you had some believers who were never Jewish that looked at the fact that you couldn't bake and wrap a lobster tail and said, you're out of your mind. And so the Apostle Paul is going to help us learn how to deal with those spots in each other's lives that maybe you have one way of thinking and somebody has another way of thinking about something that is not inherently sinful. And there are all kinds of things in our lives that would fall into that category. So he says, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So clearly taking the shot at vegans right here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but isn't that how we view these passages sometimes? I did that on purpose. You know, the, you're, all the meat eaters, the carnivores are going, see right there. A person who eats vegetables is weak. That's kind of how we end up in trouble sometimes. And so I'm trying to use that as an example of be careful about misinterpreting what Scripture intends. You need to look at the whole of what Scripture says. So it's actually not picking on somebody who decides to eat vegetables and calls them weak. It's simply saying one person who may have a weakness because they believe that they should only eat vegetables, there is a person who may actually have a like-type weakness who eats meat. Both can be weak. Both can be strong. And so he says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. You see how he goes both ways? He says, be really careful about these liberties. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and indeed 
He will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Family of God, you probably have all kinds of people in your life who are not in the same place that you are spiritually. Is that a safe assumption? Say amen. It is. It's a safe assumption. Uh, On that grand scheme of, of things, as we grow in Christ, we do not instantaneously turn into mature believers. Amen? So some people struggle with certain things for a much longer period of time than others. I've met people who've given their lives to Jesus, and instantaneously, they are healed. They're absolutely washed clean of some very difficult things, maybe alcoholism, perhaps drug use, maybe some relationship issues, some things that we would say, those are major sin issues, instantaneously healed, as if it never would ever happen again. And then you have the other person who is also equally saved, but they struggle maybe for a very, very, very long time in some area to where they've been set free, but they're just, they kind of get right back towards the edge of where they should not be because they've taken a liberty that places them in harm's way. And so this is helping us deal with a person who is weak in a certain area that we may be strong in or maybe is strong in an area that we may be weak in. And you are going to find yourself on both sides of that equation from time to time throughout your walk with the Lord. God's received him and God's able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another and another esteems every day alike. Paul's take was every day was good, amen? Good day to worship Jesus is Monday through Sunday. But the Jewish people were very particular, weren't they? When you travel to Israel today, you're still going to find almost every single church group of believers in Israel meets on guess what day? Saturday. They actually keep the Sabbath, Even though they are Messianic believers, they still meet on Shabbat. Why? Because everybody in their neighborhood is going to church on Saturday. So you can take a legalist and go, well, you should stand up for the Lord and meet on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. Or you can take the libertine view of it and, well, you know, I I think you shouldn't even meet at all because you're offending somebody. You see, the Lord wants us to learn how to get along. And if you take the legalist view and you say, well, you're, you know, you're not meeting on the Lord's day, then you offend that brother who's weak in that particular area. Well, are you, what are you trying to do, be a, a Judaizer? No, not at all. They're actually trying to make church attractive to people who may currently be very deeply ingrained in Judaism. Be careful about judging why somebody does what they do. You know, we, we, have, we have to be really careful about judging the hearts. Actions are one thing, hearts are another. You can look at somebody's pattern, and if it's sinful, you can certainly call that into account. But if you're judging why they're doing something, Therein lies the problem. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it 
unto the Lord. Now, I want you to just, if you do such a thing, if you mark up your Bible, mark up the number of times that you see the word Lord here, because that really is the issue. There's exactly one Lord, and he's Lord of all. Amen? Jesus is Lord of all. There's not a different Lord for people who were formerly Jewish. There's not a different Lord for people who were formerly Catholic. There's not a different Lord for people who have always been evangelical Christians. There's not one Lord for those who were Pentecostal and another for those who were, you know, more stoic in their, in their expression of faith. There is exactly one Lord, and He is Lord over everyone. So from His perspective, we're all family. So check out the use of the word Lord here. If you observe a day... You observe it unto the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. Notice the focus. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. The issue here is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The issue is who are we doing it for? Not how are we doing it. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. And therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. There's only one hope while you're here, and there's only going to be one Lord in heaven. Amen? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to be the cry when everyone sees heaven. That's going to be the cry. Worthy is the Lamb. There's only one Lord. His name is Jesus. Now notice what he says, verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I say, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. It's reminding of both the writings of the prophet Isaiah and Paul himself will repeat this to the church at Philippi. The bottom line is, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was always one Lord. We all serve the same Lord. We all worship the same God. We may do that functionally and fundamentally even differently, but there is but one Lord, and He is the Lord of all. Ephesians 4 plainly declares this truth. For we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ, is what it's referring to. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. I'll give you a little secret. When you get to heaven, nobody's going to ask you, did you please Pastor Jeff? That's not going to be on the quiz, okay? Everything that Pastor Jeff said, did you do that? No, no. It's going to be, did you know Jesus? Did you serve the Lord Jesus? Are you found in Jesus? Is Jesus Christ Lord? 
That's the entrance exam to heaven. Is Jesus Christ Lord? It's not going to be, did you have a TV? Did you homeschool? Please take no offense at what I'm saying here, but there are people who make as a matter of salvation things that do not matter to God. I get fairly regularly letters from groups of people, supposed Christians, whom I'm going to say are my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they, I'm sure, intend well, who remind me that there is only one Bible on the face of the earth that should be read in church, and that is the King James. And then I point out to them a couple of translational problems with the King James, and they just flip out. You're not going to heaven because you own a King James Bible. Okay? For all my time walking with the Lord, I actually have an, an awful lot of Scripture memorized in King James. Sometimes it actually causes me confusion. I'm like, oh, that's King James? I need to try change that. You're not going to be asked whether you read from the King James Bible when you get to heaven. It's not going to be, did wine ever touch your lips? That's not going to be the issue. The issue is going to be, is Jesus Christ Lord? That will be the question. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. You give an account to God, and therefore let us not judge one another anymore. Notice it doesn't say stop teaching the truth. Notice it doesn't say throw out the, the moral character of God. It's very clear what's at stake here. This is judging your brothers and sisters about things that are doubtful. About maybe how they do church. There, there are people that are absolutely freaked out over whether the communion elements are handed to you or you self-serve communion. <gasps> that could, there's no way that you're saved if you go to that church. It is mind-boggling what divides the body of Christ. You know, we're, as Calvary Chapel, we're not horribly big on formal liturgy. But I can tell you, I've hung out with some of my Lutheran brothers and sisters and my Presbyterian brothers and sisters and my Episcopalian brothers and sisters and my Anglican brothers and sisters, and I can tell you absolutely, 100%, they love the Lord Jesus. Now, they worship Him a little different, but you get down to the essentials, the doctrines of faith, I have zero doubt if I'm going to heaven, they're going to heaven because they know the same truths about Jesus that I know. We have to be careful. It's one thing for me as a pastor to point out false teaching. That's a completely separate issue. But for us to divide, to begin to point fingers at brothers and sisters who worship in a different way is not from God. It's divisive. That's the very thing that Paul's talking about here. 
We have to be careful not to major in minor things. Notice how he finishes up. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. That from God's perspective, a far more important thing is that we don't stumble our brothers and sisters. That we don't cause them to fall away from the faith because of something that we have heaped, some pile of stuff that we've dumped in their way. So it's really about dying on the wrong hill. You know, in battle, there are things worth taking and there are things that are worth not taking with regard to military objectives. All kinds of battles have been fought. All kinds of wars have been won and lost over very small pieces of real estate. But you have to pick those hills wisely. On D-Day, when those invasion forces landed, the Allied forces, the beaches of Normandy, those were not big hills. They were fairly small cliffs, but they were well fortified. You needed to be in the right place. You needed to make sure that you were dying for the right reason. Because the battle was focused on making it off the beach. So it wasn't just a matter of making it to the beach. It was making it to the beach in the right place so you could get off the beach. You needed to die on the right hill. The right place. You see, sometimes Christians begin to argue, debate, and fight with each other over things that are neither forbidden nor are they commanded. And so what happens is they end up making essential doctrine out of non-essential things. Like whether you teach out of a King James Bible. Or whether you have one specific set of views on the last days or another set of views. The whole body of Christ does not believe in the rapture of the church. I find that personally hard to believe because I do believe that I can teach from the scriptures that the church is going to be raptured, but I can tell you there are an awful lot of people who do not believe in the rapture of the church. I actually feel sorry for them, but they're still my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when they articulate the basis of their faith, they believe that Jesus Christ, God's own Son, came to this earth, He lived on this earth a sinless life, died a propitiant propitiant death for you and I, that His penalty that was my penalty, He died so that I might live. They believe all of the basics of salvation as we know it here in this church. And so I have to be careful to to say things like, well, I don't even know if they're saved. Be careful. Be kind. Be respectful. Now, here in this church, we believe in the rapture of the church. Here in this church, I believe that one day we're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds. Those who are alive and remain 
snatched away by force. But there are those that believe that that's simply referring to the very last days, to the second coming of the Lord, and they skip over and get right to the heart of the issue, which is the battle of Armageddon. There are people that do not believe in the, lineal, the, the literal millennial reign of Christ. It doesn't mean that they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ. It means that they have a strange way of interpreting some literal passages of Scripture that I think are pretty clear, that one day Jesus is going to put his feet down on the Mount of Olives, it's going to split in two, and he is going to launch a kingdom that will last for a thousand years, that at the end of which, the enemy of our soul, Satan, will be bound and finally cast into the lake of fire. There are people that believe those things all happen at the same time. But there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Why am I telling you this? Because I've listened to people talk to people who are their brothers and sisters in Christ as if they were not their brothers and sisters in Christ. And it causes division in the church. Make sure to keep your disagreements about things that are not essentials to faith. No one is going to heaven because they believe in a literal seven-day creation. Did you know that? No one is going to heaven because that's what they believe. They're going to heaven because Jesus Christ, God's own son, came to this earth, died on Calvary's cross in their place. And because of that death that he died in your place and you believing by faith, receiving grace, having your sins forgiven, that is why you're going to heaven. So Paul's talking about things that we can debate about, talk about exercise a little bit of our Berean nature about, study. I believe wholeheartedly that those things that I just mentioned, I can mount a very serious case that those things are true. And I believe that is what the church should teach. But I can tell you, there are churches that don't believe that. Why is that important to us? Because things that are non-essential to faith should be kept as non-essential to faith. Because the ultimate goal of the church is to make disciples of all men. Amen? Is that not the ultimate goal of the church? The ultimate goal of the church is to go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It's to see people come to faith in Christ. Not faith in a system of eschatology, not faith in, the, in creation as a six-day literal event. And again, make no mistake, I believe God created the world in six literal days. I'm trying to help you understand that we must keep the issue of our soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, very clear. And not make salvation something that is not supported by Scripture. Some people have heard the gospel for years, been exposed to very solid biblical exegesis. Hermeneutics is perfect. They're well-rounded in their understanding of original language. And other people have barely heard the gospel you're going to the same heaven. 
You're going to the same heaven with those people. So please be kind. Please be kind. Try and start conversations. Love on them. The Lord didn't plan for His church to be divided over hundreds of varieties of the way we worship the Lord. It's not like there are people that don't believe that, you know, any church should have chairs. The only matter of fact, some people believe that because we have padding on these pews that that's not really biblical. Because it ought to cost you something when you worship the Lord. So if you're not in pain, you're probably not, you know, there are people that think that way. Have grace for those folks. Have grace for them. Love on them. Take them to this passage. Go, what do you think the Apostle Paul was talking about there? Non-essential things, traditions, personal preferences. The great diversity of the body of Christ. There's so many things that fall into that category. Some people love to worship God and underneath stained glass windows and soaring archways and halls. It doesn't mean that one is a sanctuary and the other is not a sanctuary. Let's not make that something that we have to argue about. Let's make sure that peace and love and unity, those things which are most precious to the Lord's heart, are the things that we lead with. So what causes all this conflict in the first place? And it's really just two basic camps. And they're fairly easy to see here. There's weak believers and there's strong believers. There's a libertine believer who's tempted to look basically at the legalistic brother and say, well, wow, you know, this guy is so rigid and so strict. And, you know, I've had people call me up and they'll send me emails. Man, you're a real legalist. I wish you'd stop teaching. No, I'm just trying to teach the authority of Scripture. Some people, even teaching the Bible is legalism to them. They go too far that way. And then there's the other side. The legalist is like, man, every single thing in Scripture needs to, you just got to beat somebody between the eyes with it. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, that's not it either. So on one side, you have the libertine believer, and on the other side, you have the legalist. On one side, you have the weak believer, and the other side, you have the strong believer. Secret operative word, believers. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And basically what he says in this passage to both of them is to knock it off. Back a number of years ago, I was in Indiana and we were building a series of radio stations for the Calvary Chapel radio network. And we were in Elkhart and a couple of cities in the northern part of Indiana, which is Amish country. And there's a couple of Calvary chapels there. They're fairly small. But I was talking to this pastor, and he says he's actually had a number of people from the Amish community that have really come, and they've really enjoyed the liberty of being in a church and actually singing with instruments and things like that because the Amish live plain. 
And by plain, that means there's no electricity, uh, there's no electric lights inside their sanctuary, there's no musical instruments. Plain means voices before the Lord. And so this guy who was Amish, middle-aged guy who had a family, would come and he'd secretly go to church. And he heard about this thing called liberty. That he was no longer under the law. He actually went and bought a car. He rented a garage in somebody else's house and put the car in it. And it had a radio. And he would literally go in the car in someone else's garage and turn on the radio and go for a drive and listen to Christian radio. Now this is like, das ist verboten. No, you cannot do this if you're Amish. But you know what? He did it because he loved his Amish brothers and sisters. He didn't do it because he thought that they were in sin. He just knew that he would offend them if he drove around while they're in their buggies. He's cruising with the tunes blaring on his radio. It's like, how's it going? You see, he had the right heart about it. He didn't go back into his Amish community and go, you guys are all a bunch of whack. He took that liberty and says, you know what? You, the son is set free, is free indeed. And I love the fact that I can listen to my radio. You might say maybe he was being a little deceptive, but he really didn't want to hurt anybody. You see, he was a strong believer in the midst of some weaker brothers and sisters. The flip side of that, Dalton Redlands, there's literally a church called the Beer Church. And they get together and they make microbrew. And their church are inside the church there is a brewery. And they're tossing back pints. I'm kind of thinking we ain't going to that church, honey. You, you see, you can, you can be off both directions. Not me personally. The moment there's drunkenness involved, I can tell you emphatically, you are in sin. You, you see, people start to make these things a, a contest as to who's holier than who. Back in the early 1990s, and I, I've told this story before, but I was teaching at the Bible College in Twin Peaks, and it was this, it was this time where all the girls felt like if they just dressed ugly, that the guys would not pay attention to them. And so they began to wear these hideous granny dresses, and it was, you know, they stopped shaving their legs and wearing makeup. And, you know, lo and behold, they found out that a lot of the guys actually like Sasquatch. 
(laughs) It didn't prevent any of the stuff they thought it would. You cannot fix the internal by fixing the external. It's not possible. God looks at the heart. He's concerned with the heart. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at where you are inside of your heart. He's not looking at whether you worship the Lord one way or whether you've got a granny dress on or whether you've got something cool and hip and modern. He's not con- I've had people go, well, you know, you're kind of not wearing, you know, I've had some people, why don't you wear a tie on Sunday? Because um, I hate them. I hate ties. Why would you want to have something around your neck that chokes you? I don't know. Some people like ties. Praise the Lord. If you like ties, God bless you. You're wearing a denim jacket. That's disrespectful to the Lord. I always stop and I say, can we talk about this for a second? Do you think Jesus owned any suits? How about the disciples? Did Giorgio Armani do anything during that period of time? You know, they start thinking, about, well, well, no. And I said, so what you're talking about is purely a tradition of men. Because if you want to make it exactly how the Bible says, we ought to all be wearing tunics and flip-flops. Do you see how weird we can get at times? We don't even stop to think. But what happens is if you stop to think, you go, you know what? If you feel comfortable in a suit, wear a suit in Jesus' name. Maybe you don't own a suit. Maybe you're doing good to make it to church in shorts. Maybe you got one pair of clothes and they're in your car because you live in it. You see what I'm saying? We so quickly judge people on the externals that we don't stop to think, where are they at with Jesus? The Apostle Paul is saying, why don't we make the main thing the main thing? Let's love them as Christ loves them. Because here's what's going to happen. The Lord will start working in their lives, and those things that need to change are going to change. But if we don't give them an opportunity to hear the word and to be transformed by the renewing of their mind, then we kind of help stunt their growth. And so the apostle says, look, the cause of the conflict is these two extremes. Don't be a legalist. Don't be libertine. Don't don't let babies stay babies. And not everybody is going to make it to, you know, super saint. You just want people to not stay babies. And for some people, they're going to be a little more infantile maybe than you. Maybe they struggle a lot longer. Maybe they just don't ever quite get to that place. Please be kind. Please be gentle. Please help the Lord help them, is the word. Now, for those of you that have children... You do not beat your children for what they do not yet know. Amen? I would think. 
I, I don't think you talk to your one-year-old like you talk to your 18-year-old. Amen? The point being is when someone has walked with the Lord for a long time, you may be able to talk to them a little more meaty. But when they're new in the Lord, you've got to kind of keep it infantile. Amen? Here's why this is important. You need to find out where people are before you start to talk to them about things. Sometimes we, we start talking to everybody like they already know what we know. That would be like a parent getting on their one-year-old about not driving the car properly. They've not gotten there. They don't have that information yet. So Paul begins to address first the legalist, the strong one. He uses this Greek word, prosambaneo. And, and, and the reason that that word is important, he just simply says, accept them. It's presented in such a way that you who are strong should look at the person who is weak and instantaneously wrap your arms around them and say, come on in. Without considering whether they're worthy or ready or whether they're like you or whether they're doing good or not doing good, but you put your arms around them and say, look, I'm strong, so let me help you with my strength. Not take your strength and stand there and go, well, someday you'll be as holy as me. You ever met Christians like that? I have. I used to be one. I used to be one. I was one of those Christians that's just like, I don't want to sully myself. I don't want to get too close because your steaming sin will affect me. Because I am holy. I was like that. I was a legalist. I was the legalist who would look at other people and while I'm over here doing my thing, which wasn't always good, you put on the external garment and boy, do the clothes look nice. We got to be careful because you know what? Doesn't fool the Lord. He's not impressed by our external holiness. I, I remember when study Bibles first came out. I wanted to get the biggest one. I didn't actually care what it said. I just wanted it as fat as I could get because I, I wanted somebody to see that when it was tucked under my arm. Look how big my Bible is. You know why? Because that's got truth in it right there. You start walking around, there's no truth in here, but you got it tucked under your arm. Ain't doing any good under the arm, okay? <laughs> we got to be careful. Because the strong one is strong internally, and that makes them automatically accept the weak one. That makes us not be put off by someone who's not where we are. I'll remind you, sinners sin. And young sinners sin more than old sinners generally. They're still trying to figure it all out. 
They don't know. This passage is not speaking of moral compromise. It's not speaking of doctrinal compromise. It's not speaking of us backing away from the truth. It's saying when you know the truth, you should use that truth in such a way to make sure that you speak, as the Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus, that truth in love. So we here in the church, because we're primarily a group of believers, I can speak to you very differently than I speak to someone who does not yet know the Lord. When I'm out on the street and I meet somebody, I I walk by and I see somebody who's drunk, I don't walk up to and go, man, you are a total mess. I usually begin by praying for them before I even get there. I'll say, man, are you okay? What's going on in your life? Oh, man, you are disgusting. You see, we have to realize that God's put us on this earth to reach people with the gospel. That's why you're still here. And so we shouldn't be off-putting with our holiness. So if you're here tonight and you're a strong one, make sure that you're reaching out to weak ones. Help them grow. That's what they need. And I'll remind you, the most somber warnings of Jesus in the whole New Testament are all people who beat up on little ones. Disrespected little ones. Took a shot at people who weren't quite there. You ever notice something? All the people that Jesus did miracles for, do you ever find him asking the question, well, how in the world did you become crippled? Did anybody have one? Did anybody know one of those questions by Jesus? He doesn't ask that question. He doesn't say to the blind man, well, how did you get blind in the first place? What, were you, what sin were you involved in? Matter of fact, Jesus actually got asked the question by the Pharisees about a person who was having issues, and they asked him the question, who sinned, the mother or the father? He's like, it doesn't matter. Your job is to accept them. Bring them in. Love on them. Make sure that they know the way and the truth and the life. We cannot compromise on the truth. But how we present that truth is on us. That's a growth thing for all of us, family. Wraps us up by giving us four good reasons why we ought to live this way. Four things that we can look at and we can say, look, here's why I I shouldn't be a legalist. Here's why I shouldn't be libertine. Here's why I should seek to make sure that I'm putting my arms together with brothers and sisters who love the Lord. Maybe they love the Lord in a little different way than we do, but they've got the gospel right. First one is, God's already received them. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, lest any of us should boast. Amen? 
So if he's already received them into the family, what business do we have saying you can't come in? God's already received them. They're already in. You're going to spend eternity with them is a way to look at it. They're already your family. They're my family. One man has faith that he might eat all things. You, you see, he's, he's talking about the old covenant and dietary restrictions and all these things. And you can well imagine those people who had never been under the weight of the law wandering around and man, they're, they're smack, they got a bowl of shrimp cocktail and they're just going after it. And here you got these Jewish believers and they're like, oh, that's a pretty good way to get some division going on. You got the Gentile believers are meeting on Sunday, and you got the Jewish believers meeting on Saturday. That'd be a way that you could have some division, don't you think? But in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor male or female. Why do you suppose the Apostle Paul said that? Because the only thing that's getting us into heaven is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so he says, look, if God's received them, you receive them. Love on them. Work out your differences in an agreeable way. If that person has a conscience about eating something. You know, somebody enjoys being a vegetarian or a vegan, praise the Lord. If they're a carnivore, praise the Lord. If they like both things, praise the Lord. If they exist on Twinkies, praise the Lord. Man, we shouldn't make those things a test of faith. God's received both. I had a guy come to me last week, and I said something in a message about Disneyland, and he went on for 10 minutes about the Antichrist and how Mickey Mouse was associated with Donald Duck, and one day the Antichrist would rise out of Donald's loins and... You know, I mean, it was just this insane. I'm serious. It's a heart attack. Guy's like, I can't believe you would say Disneyland inside the church. You know, you're probably going to hell. I'm like, look, if it's about Disneyland, we are in deep trouble, folks. You know, if you haven't made enough trips around Thunder Mountain Railroad to get to heaven, then it's not good. Just don't worship Mickey. Amen? There's only one Lord. His name is Jesus. Worship Him. It's not Walt. So if you've got an issue going to Disneyland and you go in there and you're, oh, praise you, the Walt. you got issues. But if one person goes to Disneyland and another one goes to Knott's Berry Farm and somebody doesn't go at all, welcome them. They're your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Just make sure they know the real Jesus. The second thing, <laughs> lest the Lord sustains us, we're all dead. Amen? He sustains every last one. The weak believer and the strong believer are sustained and made sure that they're getting to heaven by the same Lord. Amen? 
You, you see, there's not one Lord for the strong believer and another Lord for the weak believer. There's exactly one Lord, and he's Lord over all. I'm going to get to heaven as a pastor the same way the person who gets saved tonight is getting to heaven if the Lord should come for his church. By grace, through faith, and it's not from me, it's from him. So he's the one who sustains us. My personal assessment of someone else's faith does not matter to God. Am I clear? It it doesn't matter what I think about someone else's faith. It matters what they think about the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's all that matters. Very often we start to make issues about how I perceive what you believe. God's not going to ask you, well, what did Jeff think about their faith? He's going to ask you, have you believed on my only begotten Son? Don't forget that, please. Because you can eliminate an awful lot of strife because there's only one Lord. And He's going to get you to heaven and He's going to get me to heaven and anyone who believes on His name Don't make it about other things. To that end, there's only one Lord. There's not two lords or ten lords. There's not the Lord of Harvest and the Lord of Calvary Chapel and the Lord of the Baptist Church and the Lord of the Presbyterian Church and the Lord of the Anglican Church and the Lord of the first church on the corner on the left. There's only one Lord, and He's Lord of all. And we need to see that as a truth. That's why the word Lord is found eight times in this passage. It's emphasized. It's like, look, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Some people treat a day as holy. Others treat treat it as, nah, that's not our day. We don't like that day. Again, when you get to heaven, (laughs) did you worship on the Sabbath? That's not going to be the question. Is Jesus Christ Lord? And to that end, we, we aren't supposed to be playing God in other people's lives. My job is to teach the truth. My task, my goal, my calling in life is to stand before people and rightly interpret what God's Word says and make sure that you leave with truth so that you're ready to be able to share that truth with other people and it, to help you live your life. But it is not to judge whether you're a believer or not. I can point out things. I might say, you know, well, that's, that's an area that's pretty clearly sin. As a believer, you should not be doing that. Yes, I can do that. But try and figure out where the line is that you may have crossed or may have not crossed. There's only one Lord who's capable of doing that. And he will be the judge of everyone in this room and every person that ever gets to heaven, and ultimately all that stand before the great white throne will be judged by Jesus. They will not be judged by me. I'm not going to be standing in line going, by the way, Jesus, they're not saved. I saw them. I mean, you should have seen what they did. I mean, they went to Disneyland twice on Sunday. They went on Sunday. Can you believe that, Jesus? 
and they had four churros. That's gluttony right there. It's not going to happen. Enter in to my kingdom of rest. You can be a vegetarian for Christ. I'm going to be a double-double consumer for Christ. Just saying. All things. Maybe you like the King James. Maybe you like the English Standard Version. Maybe you're an NIV person. It's not going to cause you to be excluded or included. It's, is Jesus Christ Lord? When Peter asked Jesus, Lord, what should I do? Follow me, was all he said. He didn't say, well, you've got to wait a while, because there's no King James Bible yet, so you cannot understand this. He just simply said, follow me. Lord, follow me. Don't be critical of how people follow Jesus. Teach the truth. Preach the truth. Live your life by the truth. Be as sinless as you possibly can. Follow the word of the Lord as best as you possibly can. And then love people. Because Jesus loves people. That's his whole goal was to come because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, right? Not whoever would understand all of the non-essential doctrines of the Christian faith as Christians for 2,000 years have been able to assemble that data. Do you understand what I just said? In other words, there are a lot of things that we, because we have now studied God's Word so long, as these letters first got circulated in the first century after the Lord was here, and people have had them in their possession, been able to study them, we've come up with all kinds of things. But there's still one thing that's the main thing. There's actually still one thing that's the only thing. And that have you believed on the only begotten Son of God? That's the thing. And to that end, the fourth thing, the Lord alone is going to judge every believer. For we who love the Lord know the Lord. One day you're going to stand before the Bema seat. You're, you're going to be there for that judging of those things done in this body, whether good or not good, for rewards. Not for whether you get in, but for a crown, because you are in. So the Lord's going to take care of that. We don't need to do that while we're here. We need to honor the Lord. We need to walk in truth. We need to walk in love. We need to encourage people to follow hard after Jesus. Absolutely. But we're all going to stand before the same Lord. We're all going to answer to the same Lord. We're all going to be at that one Bema seat. And so at the end of every single day in our lives, we're all answering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ.
not to whether church looked one way versus another way. Not whether there's pews or chairs. Not whether one person believes that you should eat meat or not eat meat. Whether Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's make sure that we keep that thing, the main thing. We don't want to be a legalist. And we sure don't want to be licentious. We don't want to be the person that's just as wrong in their legalism. Brothers and sisters, I was just as wrong in my legalism as the person who takes those liberties to the extreme. So you don't want to be either way. The thing that helps you not do that is by loving. By looking at that person and go, they're not where I'm at yet. I'm not where they are. So how do I embrace them and say, let's do this together. Let's walk this walk called sanctification. Because it is written, just exactly as Isaiah 45, which is quoted by Paul here. One day every knee will bow. The very same thing that he writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Not a brand of Christianity. Not a specific type of Christianity. Not a specific kind of liturgy. Not a certain way of doing communion. Not a look of a building. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's keep it about Jesus Christ being Lord. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray together. Father God, we ask that you would help us to be encouragers in faith and growth. Lord, your word is truth, and so we want to teach that truth and preach that truth. We want to be accurate with that truth. We actually want to be unflinching and without compromise. We want to challenge and correct and exhort. There are times for all those things, Lord. But we should not ever judge over doubtful things. We shouldn't divide your body over non-essential doctrine. And we should never misrepresent your love. And so, God, we pray that you'd help us to do that as we celebrate this Christmas season. Lord, the season of the greatest gift that was ever given. Lord, of your love offered up here on this earth for our salvation as you, Jesus, came that child that was born, that son that was given. King Jesus, we honor you. We bless you. We exalt you. Help us to love others as we have been loved by you. We ask all this in the wonderful name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.